This is the Lean Into Art podcast, a place where we explore the things that we're making, things like interactive design, visual storytelling, comics, video games, and what have you, and being independent or on small teams and how do we think about this stuff and collaborate and the stuff all surrounding it because there's so many interesting hats and and um, roles and jobs, activities that, that go into the experience of getting the thing that you want to create complete and then put in the world and making something of it, making it successful, having it meet its audience. We talk about all that kind of stuff. And by the way, I'm Rob Stenzinger. I'm a designer and a coach. And often with me is Jersey Drozd, a uh, comic creator and teaching artist. Sometimes we actually bring in a guest and that's what I have to share with you right now. Um, a rebroadcast of episode 152 where we talked about mini comics carnage with Zach Giolongo. And Zach is a comic creator and a teaching artist as well. And he has made all sorts of amazing works like um, the graphic novel Broxo, the uh, Star Wars doodle activity book, super fun activity book. Uh, things like the Stratford Zoo Midnight Review where, where you have animals acting out Shakespeare in a park. And there's, he, has, he has one graphic novel about Macbeth and the other about Romeo and Juliet. So yeah, I, I mean, Zach has made tons of different comics and he's a joy uh, to, to chat with and explore the creative process. And he is a, a creator of mini comics as well. So it was super fun to explore a variety of angles on that where all three of us are fans and creators of mini comics that are the that can be inexpensive art objects or they can be way more. And we talk about all sorts of examples and uses where we've um, encountered them and even like things like why you'd want to make one. Uh, some folks have made really cool art objects out of mini comics and they are, um, I mean, it's, it's pretty inspiring and fascinating to, to consider. And we, we chat all about it. And of course, we talk about ways where we've had fun making mini comics. So it's a celebration of mini comics. That's what this episode is. We share a rebroadcast from time to time because we want to make sure we're reaching out as, you know, as weekly as we can. And there happens to be this back catalog that I think is, it's, it's more than like a snapshot in time. There's, uh, there's a timeless thing in, in the creative process and the motivation to, to make stuff. And, and because of our format, I feel like it's, you know, a lot of our episodes stand a test of time for though, you know, learning about how other artists are making things and, and how do we see it. That's the, you know, the pitch for a rebroadcast. And that's, that's what we do from time to time when there's travel and whatnot. And one thing we do with the rebroadcast is reach out and thank some of our patrons who are with us now, where you can support Lean Into Art on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash lean into art. And as for as little as, as a buck a month or whatever makes sense for you. And what that does, it gives you access to being selected randomly to be you know given the shout out in, the, in this thanks section in the, in the show. It also uh, gives you access to Extra Lean, which is a special podcast that Jersey and I do monthly now of us sort of riffing and having fun exploring a topic off the cuff, not prepared. And it's, uh, that's a joy to do. It's also a place to have comments and stuff with us, but we have an even better thing that I can share with you also uh, where you can reach out to us via the tool called Discord. We have it lean into our Discord server now 
There are public rooms. You can reach out to us there to have a comment on a show or a uh, topic question or idea. That's, you know, those kind of things are welcome, but we're not really hanging out and socializing out in the public one. Where we do that at is the social channel in the patron-only area. Patrons also have access to two other rooms right now, channels, rooms, I don't know, I'm new to Discord. So it, uh, one is called Castle Level Up, and, and Castle Level Up, you share work that you're making that you want to get some feedback on. And, it, you know, we, we, we practice being... Um, thoughtful about how we critique and and we have a community that is a very thoughtful one as well. So for fellow fellow leaners, it, it's a it's a safe space, right? But you'll get some feedback about how you know maybe potential ways I like, I wish ways to improve what you what you made. But then if you're thinking I just need some positive you know reinforcement, I want I want to hear yeah, all right, keep going, you know you rock it. It's um, you can you can post in the um, Gentle Town. So Gentle Town is all positive reinforcement. And then, so yeah, so Castle Level Up, Gentle Town, and Social. Three places that are patron only on the Lean Into Art Discord. And I want to thank five folks who who support us via Patreon. Uh, We just select five random, and you can end up in that pool if you become a supporter as well. Thank you so much to Miriam DV, who is on Twitter at MirjimVDVDV as uh, a handle. I don't have Twitter handles for everybody, so sorry about that. Spencer Hollam, thank you so much. Catherine Sugru, thank you for supporting us. Owen Jollins, thanks for supporting us for so long. It's, it's, and you've been a guest on the show. It's so awesome. Thank you, Owen. And thank you to Metal Witch Sketchbook Project. Thanks so much for supporting us. All of you on Patreon, all of our patrons, Patreon patrons. Oh boy. Deep gratitude. And, and uh, it's such an awesome signal to get that support. And you can join in with those fine folks at patreon.com slash lean into art and get the benefits they have for yourself. And without further ado, let's join with Lean Into Artcast 152 Mini Comics Carnage with Zach Giolongo. Hello again. It is the Lean Into Artcast, the show where a couple of visual storytellers get together, talk around, a t- talk around, walk around, talk around a topic, try to look at it from every conceivable angle, then try to turn it into some kind of useful, actionable thing. We think hard about visual storytelling, so you will too. My name is Jersey Drozd, cartoonist and teaching artist. The other host is... I am Rob Stenzinger, a designer, coder, and facilitator, and we have a special guest with us today. Mr. We have a special guest. I'm so excited to have him here. I wish I could be. Oh, I wish I could be. (laughs) I'm Zach Giolongo. I wish I could be a special ghost instead of a special guest. You didn't say it right. You have to say it with the like special ghost. (laughs) That's like a cartoon role. Ghost. Zach Giolongo of ZachGiolongo.com. Zachy Lee's. Everywhere. Online. Yeah. Um, and I should also pull up, where is it? I've got it right here. You're co-host of a thing that we talk a lot about on the Lena Tardcast mm. called The Galaxy of Super Adventure. Mm, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, you're on it every time. <laughs> so what, what is Galaxy of Super Adventure? I want to hear your, your elevator pitch for the show. Galaxy of Super Adventure. It's a uh, podcast 
where three uh, cartoonist storytellers, uh, myself, a uh, fella by the name of Jersey Drozd, Benjamin and another Margaret fella Hackey. named, yes, Benjamin Margaret Hackey. Um, it is a kind of an art and storytelling podcast where we sort of talk about those different you know, aspects of that, but it's all within the framework of a uh, sort of radio play with um, different characters up in a spaceship. Um, I think actually you said it was really, it's an, it's an audio puppet show, which I think is a really good way of putting it. Yeah, it's it's like uh, somewhere between Great Space Coaster and Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah, um, I like to sort of say it's it's Pee Wee's Playhouse mixed with Alton Brown's Good Eats because it sort of has yeah. the process educational component to it. Right. So, yeah. But at any but, given moment, uh, 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 a sort of surly pony may suddenly walk onto the ship and give us yes. a hard time, or a space elf might deliver the mail from who knows what orifice, but we're always disgusted by it. <laughs> yes. And we have a, a very sweet cleaning lady on the ship who um, has just recently come around to enjoying comics and graphic novels. She Spoilers. used to be very... Spoilers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. you got to go back to the beginning. Listen from the beginning. That's right. Wait, That's right. Wait, you gotta get, if you get to episode seven and you're still on board, then you're really on board. Yeah. Um, and and then there's there's um a guy from the Department of Transportation who who seems to just know exactly when to call in to clarify a point a uh, point for us. Yeah, he's great. He's yeah. great. He knows exactly what to say and when to say it. <laughs> he's he's super good. Well, that's at comicsagreat.com/slash/gosa galaxy of super adventure. Oh, and we have a little robot. We have a little robot that pretty much runs everything. Yeah, helps Ghost us out. Ghostatron mm -hmm. helps us out and. Keeps uh, keeps all that stuff running. So I over I over by talking about Galaxy Superventure, I kind of overshot what you do. You I mean you've been on the show before, but for those who are new to the show, mm. you are a cartoonist. Mm -hmm. what are, you worked on some books. You worked I on did. Oh, a little thing called Star Wars. Mm. Yes, I I made Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, man. That's me. Yeah. Hey, no problem. I'm younger than I look. <laughs> I mean, I'm what? older than I look. <laughs> well, you, know, you probably could afford a time machine with all that. Success, uh, so. But no, you worked on, uh, you, you did a graphic novel called Ewok Shadows of Endor for Dark yep. Horse Comics. Correct. Um, Star Wars Doodles, an awesome mm -hmm. book. Uh, and you're working on another Star Wars related project right now, which I don't think has been named yet, right? Uh, that's true. Yeah. It's another, um, I'm working on some new Star Wars projects still within that same realm of sort of, uh, activity books and the Star Wars Doodles is so this this whole like subgenre of adult coloring books. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but it is just taken off. It has. They're all I mean, the place. Oh yeah, oh yeah, lots of them. And so Star Wars Doodles, while it's not expressly an adult coloring book, and I should clarify for those who don't know, uh, adult coloring book does not mean an X-rated coloring book. <laughs> It means a coloring book or an activity book that is geared towards adults. So oftentimes it will have maybe adult subject matter, things like there, there will be a Deadpool coloring book or a Walking Dead coloring book. Or there are coloring books that also just have like really complex patterns and things like that. And the idea is that a lot of people find them 
you know, very just therapeutic to do, and um, and they, yeah, they're they're hugely popular. And so, Star Wars Doodles is a, a Star Wars activity, sort of an activity book with um, drawing prompts that encourage you to draw and be creative. And um, yeah, I'm doing more things within that realm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you also do a little thing called Broxo, or did a little thing called Broxo for, for a second. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I, Broxo is a fantasy. I'll pull it up while you describe it real quick. And, and there's a reason I'm going there, Zach. I know it's 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 been out for a few years, but I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna drive in a direction with this. So you, could you tell us about Broxo real quick? So my elevator pitch for Broxo: teenage barbarians versus zombies. Um, yeah, it's a it's a fantasy sword and sorcery story about uh, these two barbarian teenagers uh, in sort of a wasteland mountain area who fight um, some restless undead spirits and it's sort of a mystery as to where these spirits came from and all that kind of good it's stuff. And there's a New York Times a... bestseller. It's true. Yes. It is a New York that? Times bestseller. Um, and there's a snow monster and there's a witch and, and all this kind of stuff and they kind of unravel the mystery of what happened up there. And yeah, it came out from first second. It's um I would say ten and up. That's yeah. that's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> ten and up. Okay. So I just wanted I wanted like sort of ask a uh leading question because you've been posting some stuff on your Instagram, which is another place that everybody should go, uh Instagram.com slash Zaculees. You were yes. posting all these different little fantasy settings and creatures, and I couldn't help but think, is this more Broxo World stuff that we're seeing there? Some of it is. <laughs> is this adding up to I'm anything? I'm being cagey. I'm being yeah. cagey. I know. I was just trying to do that that that, that interview question where I've got yeah. my little cards right here. Yep. Yeah, that one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, so I did, well, actually, if you want to get even more leading, I, I did some mini comics a few years ago called Groon, which people had read and enjoyed, and Groon is, uh, takes place in the same area as Broxo. So I wouldn't call it a spin-off. I wouldn't really call it a sequel. Um, but it has some overlapping themes and things like that. And I'm revisiting a lot of that stuff lately. So there's mm-hmm. some of that on my Instagram. Rune was a mini-comic. Uh, so the reason mm-hmm. I bring that up, I'm mini-comics, that's our topic this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but people should go to your Instagram. If, if they read Broxo and they're like, gosh, that was good. Where's Broxo 2? As a matter of fact, when I started doing a search for Broxo just now, the first search term that popped up, like, when Google's, Google's autofill was Broxo Book 2, Zach Gilongo. Honest and for true. Really? I should Honest look that up. Um, so they're going, like, where's the next Broxo? Well, go to Zach's Instagram. Something's percolating over there, and it's worth following. Uh, mm. tease. Uh, and I'm being uh, mysterious about it, so. <laughs> very Orson Welles with the cape. What? Oh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there <we> go. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> mini comics. Mini um, comics. We got to get to the main topic, but before we go there, Rob, we have to talk about advertising mm-hmm. because that's you know really what this podcast is about. No selling products. 
It's it, it it is it, it's an incidental thing. It's a symbiotic relationship supporting the 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 products that support the podcast. Well, supports the podcast. So, uh, let's say you're interested interested in doing that. Uh, you should check out a few different things that we're about to offer because we Jersey Droz and I Rob Stunzinger are the sponsors of the show. Um, so check out our projects. Projects like BoulderandFleet.com which is a comic by Jersey Droz that stars a, a bird and a bear who are adventurers, theoretically for hire, right? And they <laughs> encounter um, trouble and will, will uh, do what they can to help out. And, and how they help out is, is super cool. And, and you get to see how this incredibly powerful bear is helpful, but maybe not just running around bossing everyone around because, hey, I'm the super powerful bear. It's um, a lot... A lot of uh, cool twists and turns, and you just got to see the even the 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 bad guys, the bad gals in this case, are uh, this wild crew who have some cool complex relationships, and uh, you just got to read this 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 chapter. Um, what's the what's the current chapter called, Jersey? That's oh, mining for trouble. Mining for um, trouble takes place in a mine where these mineral creatures attack a, uh, a mine because they eat precious metals. So they just they just want to, they just want to eat some food, man. And the hardworking lizard miners, uh, they're just caught in the middle of all this. And yeah. you got to explore and see see what happens. Go to boulderandfleet.com and check it out. And to support that comic, you can go to uh, patreon.com/jersey. Right. Yep, that's right. All right, and I highly recommend doing it because we need him to make more. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm actually uh, almost done with uh, this chapter. I just I just finished thumbnailing my third to last page. Mm. Um, so like I think I got like about nine nine pages left to draw in this particular story. Then it moves on to the next story. They're gonna go to another town. But there's another thing that we got to talk about. Something that Rob makes, and Rob makes a game called This Panda Needs You. And what does the panda need you for? After all, well, it's a block stacking game. Panda shows up. Blocks are all stacked up nice and neat in a really uh, beautiful, uh, pleasing configuration. And then you know what happens in life when you get things just so. Life happens. And this, this uh, mischievous cloud comes along, blows the blocks down, and it's up to you to put them back up again. And it's, got, it's, it's a physics game, and it's a pattern recognition game meant for young people. But as we were talking about earlier in this episode, the, the coloring books for adults, the meditative component of it, I would submit that this game satisfies that need as well. And you can go to this-panda.com. You can get the app in the iTunes App Store, and it works for iPad and iPhone now, right, Rob? That is right. That is correct. Gameplay features, self-paced gameplay, low pressure, high enjoyment for young children. Rob made this from scratch, everybody. He did all the graphics, he did all the sound, did all the, all the coding. This is 100% uh, custom artisanal gameplay. And get it at this-panda.com. And if you're here and saying, like, well, gosh, guys, I really just like the way you guys talk about ideas and think about ideas, then the way to support us uh, in that regard is going to our workshops page. And that's at leanintoart.com slash workshops, where you can find all sorts of videos that we've made that teach the topics that we talk about on the show. So, like, my Comics Fundamentals class, which is a four-session series, the soup-to-nuts sort of approach to making comics. It's a workshop series I've been teaching for the past eight years. Uh, Rob's got a bunch of workshops in here, too. Storytellers UI tools, how to think about uh, user interface from a cartoonist standpoint. 
uh, making video games from your creator-owned comics. If you know how to make comics, then you understand some key principles of designing video games, and you can uh, download them all at a price of your choosing at leanatar.com slash workshops. And we thank ourselves for our support of our show. <laughs> Yay. And thank you for supporting the things that we use to support the show. That's right. All right, so is it time to hit the music to go 10,000 feet up? Yes. I have special music just for my buddy Zach. Time to go 10,000 feet up, talk about the topic in abstract, look at it from a specific angle. This is the part where we talk about the, the whys of doing this thing, this mini comics thing. By the way, that was, that was Ewoks, was it not, Zach? That was Ewoks Season 2. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if anybody is like a connoisseur, they know that the yes, the season one so, uh, song is much, much, much different. Yes, by uh, by blues legend Taj Mahal. <laughs> I had no All idea, right. but I enjoyed should... the display of of knowledge. <laughs> yeah, we we did an episode of Galaxy Super Adventure recently where we just talked about cartoons the whole time, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, okay, mini comics, Rob. You want to talk about mini comics? You just did a thing this past week, this yeah. uh, last weekend. No, yeah, it was. Uh, well, it was thing that I was preparing for it during recent times, and it actually happened on this Tuesday, actually. And um, <laughs> it was uh, it was an event called uh, Drink Draw Design, aka Think and Draw. Um, and the idea behind this was to uh, bring people together who need to communicate visually, maybe want to put a little more character into it, or to lower the cost of getting ideas out in some kind of meaningful and approachable way, like doodling can do for you. Um, and a lot of people who are involved in, in just designing processes and uh, steps in for um, doing things for their teams and in business or uh, or of course, software, making websites, designing stuff. Uh, folks like that, I, I, I think it was attended by exactly those kind of people, product designers, uh, experience designers and whatnot. Um, and we're just to get together and t talk about some, you know, scratching the surface on like, well, why you'd want to think about this and some hopefully helpful things. Not too unlike a show we are pretty familiar with that likes to cover topics from the high level and then go <laughs> detailed <laughs> <laughs> it, it looks like people are very excited about committing ideas visually to paper um but you you prepared a lot of mini comics templates for this thing yeah so i thought well we're going to have this special event um i've got different things coming up where i want to have some takeaways for tabling and whatever and uh i would like to use this to practice so i ended up uh creating a little takeaway mini zine comic right so a zine is essentially you know not dissimilar to a mini comic if depending on the visual language i would say but uh yeah so it's just uh, uh an, an introduction and where people can find us on twitter and a few helpful tips and um endorsements of things like uh like when when drawing gets tough remember three things our brains are awesomely adaptable drawing is learnable and drawing builds on things you already know and so like like this little example about um how we like we see faces all over the place right it doesn't take many lines to cause that recognition. And so like light sockets or outlets, power outlets and that. Uh, depending on your country, I suppose the, the expression changes. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. So that was, this is a little eight page mini comic. Um, 
what yeah that i did well, some other I mean, prep could, along could the way for that too but yeah could you repeat those three things to say to yourself when you encounter difficulty drawing again because i think i need to steal that for my classes from now on oh i stole so much for you from you from for this workshop oh good that it's that's mutual <laughs> theft well, yes uh it's willingly given so um our our brains are awesomely adaptable drawing is learnable and drawing builds on things you already know cool so what a yeah i was thinking that too i was like i'm gonna tuck that away in my in my <laughs> pocket <laughs> Because, I mean, Zach, how many times have you been on the receiving end of people going like, mm, I don't know how to draw that, mm, can't do it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, I wish I could draw that. Oh, there we go, yeah. <laughs> I wish I had talent like you, Zach. On loan from God. <laughs> <laughs> and then you kiss your biceps afterwards? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's cool how like you can cast comics out of your fingers like that. I don't, I don't know how you just. Do oh that yeah, like I don't that. even think about it. I just like I'm usually like making a sand, like eating a sandwich, and my hand, I'm just drawing comics, you know. Just bippity boppity boom. Yeah. Um, but I think that's that's neat that you made a mini comic to sort of like be the uh, introduction slash manual for the event. Uh, mini comics get used this way, like when we were kids with action figures. Action figures came with a mini comic to explain the world in which these exciting characters live, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious, do we need to define what a mini comic is real quick? Do we need to touch on that at all? Because I think there might be some misconceptions about it. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Because I think that there is a difference between different mini comics versus mini comics that you would get with a Motu figure. Masters of the Universe, yes. Cool. Like, what, okay, what, so what, explain. What that, yeah. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, like, mini-comics, I think those mini-comics often uh, are descriptive of the size, including, like, the actual just dimensions of a mini-comic as being smaller than, you know, a traditional American comic book. Um, but I think that mini-comics within the... Uh, comics industry and, and particularly in the uh, sort of indie comic scene um, are sort of like homebrew comics. Um, comics that are made on a very... I'm generalizing here because obviously there are a million examples of where this breaks the rules, but I, I would say comics that tend to be made under very modest means traditionally they tend to be you know xeroxed or you know i mean i think zines like i don't i don't really think there's that much difference between a zine and a mini comic other than you know content maybe yeah. where a mini comic is you know tends to be a, a narrative story although sometimes <laughs> um <laughs> I remember back in my early days, first getting into making my own comics, like, uh, like I don't know, honestly, even professionally, but like in the early 90s when I was going to cons and like selling mini comics, and I would come across some of the more arty kind of mini comics people where I would open up and I'm like, is there a narrative here? This just seems like a collection of panels with different imagery, and like they didn't even have like text on it at all. There was one that yeah. I got where all it, the only text on it was the word hot cha. 
and there was like nothing else like everything else was just like pictures of faces and like like bits of you know uh, i don't know like like geometric imagery and stuff and like they didn't even sign their name to it the guy came up and traded hmm. with me and like a year later i found that book i'm like what is this i don't even remember who this did who did this <laughs> so yeah yeah, I mean, and and in some ways, I think many comics are sort of like the student films of yeah. the comics world. You know, it's sort of the venue in which a lot of people kind of cut their teeth and and figure out how to make comics. I don't know so, if I'm jumping ahead or no, 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 no. This is all ten thousand feet up stuff. So yeah, I, I was actually pulled up JessicaAble.com while you were talking, um, and she had a little section on. Uh, what is a mini comic? And she echoed your sentiments exactly. So the word mini comic does not mean small comic. The mini in mini comics is a reference to a relatively small print run and also how much personal labor on the part of the artist and friends is involved. Right. And I think this is an important distinction is that for a lot of people and myself included, when I think of mini comics, I think of the artist's hand has been present in some way on this thing. This is not a mass produced thing. This is something where I know that they stapled it or even that they did something unique to the cover in some way, not just signing it, but maybe there's something where uh, they have to hand cut something or they're screen printing something, but there's some kind of aspect of the production of the actual physical object that their hand touched, and which gives it kind of like a really, not just a lo-fi, but also a really kind of personal significance to it. You right? often see... Um people selling mini comics at things like craft fairs you know there are craft fairs all over the place and a lot of times you see people selling mini comics and these mini comics tend to be more uh, there's definitely uh, an, an artisan touch to them where they've like you said maybe they have cut the cover into a certain shape or I've seen uh, I've seen mini comics that were bound with like yarn or ribbons or they have some sort of um, uh, you know, like silk or, or, or screen printed covers, you know, all that that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That crafty aspect mm -hmm. of it. Versus not, you know, I guess a more traditional mini comic, which is the Xerox folded in half drawn, you know, it's like they, they range from, from that all the way up to, you know, like I said, with these like screen printed covers and um, fancy things sewn on them or glued on them, you know, that kind of thing. Interesting. So it's almost like it, it becomes like a, a desirable object potentially where it's, it's so much, you know, love and craft put into it in that context. Yeah. I think that there are a lot of people who uh, use that as a way to not only create some sort of narrative, but to create, you know, people who are who are really into the idea of like uh, books as objects or comics as objects, you know, it's not just something to read and enjoy, but it's something to enjoy as an object. Mm. And I think that the people who are really into that are the people who tend to really go the extra mile on the presentation of all that stuff. And that doesn't mean like super slick presentation. It just means, um, you know making it really handcrafted. Maybe it's a special kind of paper that they've used. Or, I mean, I've seen people who have, like, hunted down types of paper to use for covers. And, you know, and it's like... And I think that then there's an aspect of 
well, there's only going to be so many of these made because maybe the stock of paper that they made the cover of is, you know, extremely limited or, or you know, something like that. So I'm trying yeah. to find uh, examples from Pranus Nagikaitis. Uh, you're familiar with this stuff, right? Uh, Ghost Car Press. Um, yeah, I, I've got his site up. It's ghostcarpress.tumblr.com. And, like, one of the things that he does is, like, he, I mean, he, that guy, he really just, like, ups the game of how to do mini comics. Like, he, he did this one where it was, like, a bagged lunch, and it actually came in a paper bag, and you pull out each mini comic, and each mini comic is shaped like a piece of what would be in a bagged lunch. Like, there's, like, a the sandwich, and there's the milk, and you open up, and there's a story that relates to something to do with the, the shape of the, of the cover. Um, he's also done mini comics where he screen prints it, on a line of fabric, right? So it's like a line mm. of fabric, like maybe five feet wide with panel, 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 all screen printed. And he uses ink colors and ways to enhance the storytelling. Ah, the guy is just off the hook. Just so I mean, mini comics, I think, are, are often the most conceptual kind of comics within the, you know, within the world of comics at large. You know, they can get really, well, like... That's a perfect example. So, does uh, is that directly coupled with the amount of freedom and possibility you have because of the the production the, the production techniques are are aren't limited to something that is um, cheaply mass produced? And I don't mean that in a in like like to to knock on cheaply mass produced because that has other benefits and trade offs, but it also I mean it locks you in to certain things like that that can be printed in shapes and certainly yeah yeah and and i will say too like i've seen mini comics of that caliber that you know people sell for you know twelve dollars fifteen dollars twenty dollars and the whole thing might only be eight pages Mm -hmm. but it's got so much uh to it that you know again it's sort of a piece of a piece of art um as an object on its own but i think yeah it's definitely i mean you can't do you can't do that kind of stuff in in larger publishing worlds because it's so cost prohibitive um you know otherwise people would be you know spending 75 dollars for uh you know a 12 page comic and nobody's going to Okay, but that. that's that's the funny thing. That's the weird kind of disparity that happens sometimes with mini comics, where like, you know, the the law of economics, or at least like common sense economics, says that you should do what, like, double your unit cost if you want to mm-hmm. sell your books. And so, you know, a a, a, a xeroxed folded eight page uh, mini comic is maybe it'll cost you twenty five cents. You can sell those for fifty cents a piece, right? But the moment you start introducing some of these like neat little tricks to turn it into an art object, you start upping the, the, the value of the thing, or rather the unit cost of the thing. And so suddenly you've got something that would cost you $2 to make each unit, mm-hmm. which means you've got to sell it for 4 now. But the weird thing is you go to an event, like you said, like a craft show, like the Detroit Urban Craft Fair here in Michigan, or, some, or even a comic show like TCAF, the Toronto Comics Arts Festival, where there's more of an audience that's there to explore and discover. Um, very few people blink at that. You know, it's like uh, easily my most popular comic that I had on the table at TCAF last year was the Pickles and Taft mini comic, which was the screen printed, you know, hand done little mini comic. Uh, and I and I had the Warren Commission report right there on the table sold more of Pickles and Taft for four dollars a piece, an eight page mini comic than 
I forget what it was, 18 bucks for a 200-page graphic novel, right? Yeah, well, I mean, because I, I think that they're appealing to different... Um, well, they're appealing to different people, but they're also appealing to different parts of the brain, where I think it probably becomes, even, you know, subconsciously or not so subconsciously, hey, this little comic that's screen printed or whatever, like, I can buy this right from the artist and it's probably limited quantity, versus the Warren Report, well, uh, the, you know, I can get that on Amazon. Yep, totally. I can get it at the bookstore later if I really want it. Right, and I, I think that's, you know, and again, the, to go back to the craft fair example, it's 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 the same thing. Hey, I really like this little crocheted beanie, and even though it costs $30 versus $7 at Target, I know that it was made by this person, and it's feels more unique, feels like you have more of a connection to it. All right, well, can we talk a little bit about cases for why you would want to make a mini-comic? We talked about the different kinds of mini-comics you can make, but like, what, what stuff do you put in a mini-comic? What's it for? Uh, okay, so I'll, and I'll, I'll frame it up with this. So I have here in my hand the very first comic that I printed and published myself in 1994. And as you can see, it was for that comic called The Front that I wound up doing as a graphic novel back in 2007 or something like that. Uh, and you can also see that, boy, oh, boy, did this kid like Image Comics back then. <laughs> I was just going to say, this, this is your Liefeld period. <laughs> Look at those pouches. Those pouches. Um, you got to have the big, huge guy in the back. <laughs> <laughs> totally. That's all right, though. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, like, there's, it, there's actual jokes in here that actually I think are not too bad for a 19-year-old. Anyway, um, but where was it? Oh, so, but I didn't call it a mini comic. I called it, get this, remember this, Zach? I think can. I know what you mean. An ash can. Oh. Yep, it's an ash can of the book that's going to come out later this year. And, yeah. and that's what I did. I wound up printing it as a, a real comic, you know, seven and a half by 10.5 or whatever, uh, later on that year. But I gave out the ash can for 50 cents before that. Um, so in this That case, is such an old, like, term. That's such, like, Man, that's that's a, a piece of archaic ephemera right there. Ash it can. Says, says there, this is it. Not quite the first issue, but a darned good ash can. Um, so, yeah, this was a promo item. This was not considered an artifact in and of itself, right? Mm. Uh, a thing on its own. So is that what mini comics are for? Sure. Can be. <laughs> well, I mean, in that regard, it's a, it's a brochure to entice people to uh, become interested in and in anticipate, maybe spread the word of the thing that you're, you're, you're making that's uh, the bigger investment. Yeah. It's a preview. It's a sample. Um, and that is definitely one of the uses of mini comics. What other uses can you guys think of? Uh, to be experimental. Uh, to, you know, you have an idea that you want to do, whether it's, purely just like a very strange narrative or if it is something like, you know, I'd, hey, I'd really like to do all these comics that look like a school lunch. Um, and it's, it, it gives you a space to be experimental and you're not trying to convince a publisher to let you do it or it's, you know, it's just sort of one of these, it's a very low risk endeavor. 
and I guess in, it's low risk in in the. Um, I, I think the medium is so is is very empowering because of that. Like you could you can use it to market. You could use it that the experiment. I I think you've described well. Like this is um, this was a side story from my comic Art Geek Zoo, and it was starring essentially the the little the little bad guy character who is a uh, a weightlifting guitar pedal that um, who fell in love in this book, right? And so you got to see this other side uh, of this character, and that was um, you know. Uh, an experiment absolutely mm-hmm. <clears throat> on a bunch of levels actually because i did uh, i did different production style um i i worked um primarily analog for 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 that story and uh yeah just i tried a bunch of things yeah and, and i think yeah it's it's low risk it's low commitment you know it's it's easier to say hey i'm going to do something that's four pages or eight pages or 12 pages versus Hey, I'm gonna do this 300-page <laughs> book with characters that I may or may not end up enjoying. Hmm. Um, so yeah, ex- experimentation is definitely, I think, a huge part of of mini comics and why why they need to exist. Experimenting with different styles too, not just with different stories, but like with right. different production methods, with different uh, techniques, with different genres that you may not normally take on, right? Um, where it's like somebody says, like, "Well, you know, uh, you got a horror comic in you? I don't know. I guess I can try. You know, it's a, it's a low risk way to try that out." Um, and I know that we've talked about this before on the show, uh, probably at some point or another. But Rob dug this up when we were putting together the notes, and I was surprised to see this again. This is from January 2011. Wow. Um, and uh, this is back when I was doing art and story. Holy cow. Uh, That's when I was internet, you know, uh, fanning over you kind of thing, right? Oh, really? Like, no. <laughs> no uh, it but, just, it just, I don't know. It's obvious. If you're following your work, it's one, it's, it's in your, your work, your, in your collection, right? It's in your body of effort. And I, I remember this happening because I was there, but I just didn't remember chronicling it like this, where it's like, yeah, Boulder and Fleet literally started out as an eight-page mini comic that was nothing more than a challenge of saying, gosh, I'm really busy lately, but I don't feel like I'm creating enough of my own stuff. I wonder if I could fit in, because I had been doing these like um, dry brush or rather uh, brush pen sketches as warm-ups every day. And I said, well, if I can fit those in, could I fit in a whole page of comics a day? if I did it with the brush pen. I'd never drawn with the brush pen before. And if, Rob, you'll remember back then, I used to swear by the crow quill. I was like, no way. You'd never get me to use anything else. Um, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a whole comic just with the brush pen. Mm-hmm. And I set myself the challenge of like, okay, but I don't want to start with any preconceived ideas. I don't want to start with any old notes. I just want to start with a completely fresh blank page. And I sat there looking at a blank, blank page going, all right, what am I going to draw? And so I asked myself, what would my wife like to read? And so then I doodled this bear. And you can see there's the first sketch I did, right? And I was like, all right, well, maybe he's like from a family of bears. And there's like, I did five bears. And I'm like, oh, this is Mutant Ninja Turtles. Can't do that. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, all right, well, what else does my wife like? Oh, she likes birds. So I'll have him have a bird as a friend. And that's literally how And like, there's the first page that I drew when I did the blog post. And I was like, I don't know what's going to happen next to you. <laughs> um. So yeah, so like it, it, it was completely, it was experimental in structure, in format, in tools, in writing, and it wound up becoming something that like, you know, not to say that every mini comic has to become something else, but it's, it's interesting to me that the thing was utterly experimental and it wound up becoming something really important to me later on. 
that is a really important aspect of experimenting. Um, I mean, whereas, I mean, I think I put another, uh, a link to another uh, of your old comics in the show notes too, I believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll pull it up. <laughs> yeah, let's pull it up. All right, all right, all right, hold on. So experiments are a, a low cost way to get an idea out of your head and sort of like complete the creative cycle. And now you get to face whatever assumptions you had going into it. Um, <laughs> and you could share that. You can sort of ha- put it in other people's hands, such as uh, the comic, The Chud with a Dream. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I don't remember much about how this began, but I was I was attending a Matt Feasel workshop or Matt Feasel. Uh, anybody who's, who hasn't been to a Matt Feasel mini comics workshop, you need to go to one. They're really great. He just breaks down the the structure of a story really simply, and he find he shows you how to look for the gags. And so you know, I decided one time you know while he was doing it, I'll, I'll play along. And so I wound up creating this. Seven page mini comic about a and I don't know why I, did, I chose a chud. <laughs> <laughs> Cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller. I was just gonna say, do you need to explain what a chud is? <laughs> I think I'm really attracted to the pulpy concept of the movie Chud. I I've never seen it, but it's like it's <laughs> it's a really it's a it's a terrific B movie kind of idea. Like, oh yeah, there's these monsters that live in the sewers and come up and eat people. <laughs> and so yeah i drew this cover you know the chud with a dream like okay well what's his dream gonna be and so yeah i did this story about this chud who like gets out of the sewer and he's like goodbye chud family i'm bigger than this place and tries to get a job gets a job at a call center and he's like all oh, this sucks and, and like we literally only had like five minutes to draw each of these pages as you can see they're really loose and not terribly detailed um yeah, and like the writing's not super uh, elegant either. Mr. Chud performance reviews are in. You're the worst ever. <laughs> <laughs> you can't fire me. I quit. You don't. Then you don't get unemployment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chud goes to you know back home. You got to check in with mom and dad when you fail and come home, son. You tried your best. Yeah, you're just a Chud after all. Uh, but no, that that gives him the fire to go back and try again. Well, maybe maybe they have the answer at the, the public library. Well, at least they have free internet, you know, and then he finds a Craigslist uh, listing for a job opening for a monster. He gets a job as a monster on a movie set. <laughs> nice. That's a, it's a happy ending for the Chud. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess I could have ended it like a 70s movie where he just like gets like shot and then. Like... <laughs> oh, well, sure. He actualizes his dream and then dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, right. I mean, obviously this wasn't, a. um, it seems like you're, this was more of an exercise than a, than a deep. I never uh, printed it. No. Yeah. But what, uh, what, what did you learn from this, from your, your chud? Oh, well, well that one was about teaching myself that like when you sit down with something that you say, well, how am I going to turn this into a thing? Right. Mm. Um, I don't know about you guys. But I've been doing this stuff for, as I just pointed out, like over 20 years now. Oh, oh, over 20 years. And it's still, when I sit down with a blank page, I'm like, oh, how am I going to do this one? Every time. Like, I never sit down. And that's something I want to earmark for a future discussion with you, Zach, is like, I really want to talk about plot. Like, how, how do you come up with plot? Because, boy, oh, boy, that's, that, that is the, the Sisyphean task for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was about proving to myself that, okay, you got a time limit. 
You're going to draw something on a piece of paper, the chud of the dream? How are you going to make that into a thing? I dare you. I defy you to turn that into something. <laughs> you know, and I didn't turn it into anything award-winning, but it it followed an arc. It followed it, it followed some familiar patterns and it went places where um it felt like it was remotely satisfying, right? Well, I mean, and I think what you're bringing up is another important um thing that mini comics fill. And so experimentation is a big part of it, but I think also not just experimentation, but also active learning happens with mini-comics. Mini-comics are absolutely uh, exercises, you know? it's Mini-comics are used to improve your drawing, improve your storytelling, improve your writing, improve your, you know, your draftsmanship, your layout, all that kind of stuff. And again, within a, within a, a relatively risk-free and safe environment. Nobody, nobody's first mini comic ever looks as good as their, you know, eventual graphic novel or, or anything like that. You know, that's very true. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, for I can only I can only speak for myself, of course. But like for my nineteen-year-old self, if you were to say that like doing these mini comics is like leveling up through like mini lessons that wouldn't have been a very attractive thing to hear because like what i wanted to hear was like how do i get awesome so that i can be famous and get money at this thing like that's all i was thinking about when i was 19 <laughs> you know like this is stuff that i kind of look at after the fact like oh okay i'm really glad i did all those mini comics because it was like some really awesome incremental learning that i did so that when i started shipping bigger things they had more consistent quality right um things like drawing a character on model things like you know learning how to work a page two or three times to get it right and not just dive into it without thinking, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. I learned through doing mini comics, but, uh, but yeah, but also, I mean like for the, for the younger person or the beginning person who's starting out, I would also say that like part of doing them, at least for me when I was starting out was it was, um, just shipping something, you know, that, that whole idea of, uh, working. Oh, I, I'm working on my novel. I'm working on my novel. Working on my screenplay. Well, when do I get to see it? I don't know. Mm, you know, sure. When it's the, done. The big, the big, yeah, the shud with a big dream that that <laughs> takes too long to to ship. So what if? <laughs> so that that is satisfying, and uh, I think at, at any age, much like uh, much. So if you're you're in a garage band and you record something uh in a, in some rough manner it's satisfying to have your your friends listen to it it's uh mini comics are an easy way to capture and sh and share something that you made yeah it's so i feel like it's so important to be able to finish things and this is something that you know i've i've talked to to students and and younger people about too that you know the number of people who have incredible ideas versus the number of people who actually finish something are, are wildly disparate. And uh, a mini-comic is a way... Uh, while I think that it's important to keep your dreams in mind, I think it's also important to set yourself attainable goals. And especially when you're first starting out, a mini-comic is a very attainable goal. You know? Hey, just do four pages, just do eight pages, you know, don't, because if, if you've never done comics before and you're going to try to do 64 pages, you're going to get really overwhelmed, you're going to get really frustrated, and you might have a bad experience and you might ultimately, um, 
you know, you might ultimately say, hey, you know what, this isn't for me. And it's like, well, no, you just, you know, you need to bite off a smaller chunk first. And um, I, th I think look, you're also pointing at something that I think a lot of us uh, artists forget is that we come to this thing usually because it delights us and we have fun. We have fun drawing, you know, mm -hmm. and then like, oh, well, I'm an artist now. I got to be serious. I can't have fun doing this anymore. You know? <laughs> uh, did we talk about something you had fun with, Zach? Yes. Talk about, talk about Gordon. Okay. <laughs> so, well, I think, so Gordon is um, the most recent mini-comic that I did, and when did I do this? A few years ago at this point. Yeah, it's no, March 2014. Ago. 2014, okay. And this was, I think this fell into the experimental category, and this fell into the... Um, you know, I just have this story idea that I want to do, and I think there's probably only about eight pages there. So I just... Oh, by I, the way, I should I say, it. this is not necessarily safe for work in every respect. Um, no. And, and, and actually, that was, that was another thing, is I said, you know, I want... You know, I tend to cover ground of the all-ages world within comics and things like that. And so I said, well, I want to do something a little more adult. I want to kind of something that I can cut loose a little more. And that's what that's what Gordon was. I remember when I first saw this, I was like, yikes, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> like, not, not, not because it was like, oh, shame, but it was more like, oh, I didn't know he had this in him. <laughs> I'm hurting on the inside. <laughs> uh, I... Yeah, I want to read this. Uh, take my time to read this. This looks pretty intense. And it's funny. I I uh, I did put the comic on Tumblr, and um, it's I I think it has to be one of the biggest Tumblr posts. If you like to measure things in likes and, and reposts and things like that. Well, how else do we know how to feel about things, Zach? Right. <laughs> All these people really like me. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it was also experimental because I worked in a style that's uh, a little bit different from what I normally work in, where I was sort of really pushing this scratchier, scribblier, more energetic line than I normally, mm -hmm. I normally do. Yeah. And it, it, it's actually it's a technique that I ended up doing for the Stratford Zoo books that came out. Oh yeah, I can see ago. that. Yeah, again, that sort of just um, looser, sketchier line kind of thing. Hmm. So that's great. So yes, so like these these experiments can also wind up having really useful effect on other work, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, learning you can do there can yeah for sure it's, yeah, so it's research and development and you came up with a you came up with a um a, a marketable technique that's, yeah yeah that's money and and i think it was also something that as i got you know getting gordon out sort of out of out of here out of my brain and onto a finished piece of paper I think was a, was a big deal too because then I did end up doing another Gordon story so there are two Gordon stories and I remember thinking more and now 
from doing those, in my head, I do have a longer story that I would like to, you know, maybe do a graphic novel or something of someday. That's, uh, that is super cool. Can I admit what I, so, um, I saw in the show notes, uh, can we talk about the Gordon comics? I thought it was going to be something, some kind of fan work about Elf, right? (laughs) And all of a sudden I'm looking at this, I'm like, there's no Elf there. Oh my gosh. Anyway. No. Gordon Shumway. Wow. Now I would love to do an Elf comic, but. Oh, you would draw the heck out of an Elf comic. (laughs) And write the heck out of an Elf comic. I know that you'd be able to capture the voice and the humor of it. Ah! (laughs) Willie! You know, oh, uh, Elf, don't touch the stereo, Elf. (laughs) I was looking for the cat. (laughs) So. So maybe this is the the birth of uh, the elf comic too, yeah. Um, but uh, no, I I'm not let down. I just had to admit the uh, mm. the I was a little surprised. <laughs> yeah, and there's a part two. Wow, there's there's a a substantial part two on Tumblr as well. So yeah, we'll have to link to those mm-hmm. in the show notes. Yeah. Um, I I think there's some something else that that I remember that I was sort of thinking about when I was thinking about this this topic, um, and I don't know if you guys want to want to talk about it, but sort of this idea, I was trying to think to myself, like, well, what is the difference between creating a mini-comic versus creating a comic and posting it online? And I think that there are substantial differences. I don't know if I'm ready to say one is better than the other, and Jersey's smiling over there. I, I'm smelling us getting into an argument, and I love it when that happens. Okay. All right. Boxing gloves. Ring the bell. <laughs> I love it, too. It happens so infrequently that I, I relish it when it happens. Um, but I think that there – I feel like and, – and obviously I will concede that this is probably my my – bias due to my my age and my background and things like that. But I do think that when you create a mini-comic, in other words, not only do you write and create and finish the art, but there's another aspect of it, which is there's a production aspect to it, which is getting it ready for print, printing it out, even if that's just Xeroxing, um, the folding, the stapling, understanding which pages need to go where on the paper, like even just a spatial problem, you know, a spatial Mm. equation that you have to figure out. Yeah. Yep. All that stuff. And then the folding and this, I, I, I do feel like you definitely get something out of that that you don't get by creating the art and then posting it online. Okay, fight me. <laughs> Actually, I don't think I have much to, to argue with you on that one. Oh, okay. Um, I, I would, the only thing I would layer on that is that, that online has a different advantage in that you can embed other media with the digital media, right? <laughs> Which I haven't done a whole lot of, but I mean, if you really wanted to, you could do things like here's an audio commentary track underneath each page. Well, okay, so I so let me clarify too. I I'm also I think that I'm talking about that particularly for 
younger people or people starting out. Ah. And in other words, sort of the learning the process of creating a comic. What's really cool is that I think we could ask the question of, well, what is the process of creating a mini comic? And then take a break for our next. (laughs) All right. Is that the tease, Rob? (laughs) I think that's the tease. All right. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll tease that out and say, so in about a minute and 30 seconds, we are going to answer the question, what is the process? And through discussing, discussing that process, we will determine some of the uh, layers of the answer to the question that Zach posed earlier about the difference between shipping something online and shipping something physical. Uh, but before we do that, you got to uh, make mention of something else that's really important to us, Rob. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we do a thing called Patreon. Patreon.com slash lean into art where you can support us. You can help make the show more sustainable. What is Patreon? It's like Kickstarter, but for an ongoing thing. So you can pledge like a dollar a month. And then, you know, if enough people do that, then that makes the, you know, pays for our time in producing this content, creating the show notes, having the discussions, doing the editing, doing the processing of the show and all the stuff that happens in between. Uh, And we want to thank five Patreon supporters who have been, you know, helping us in the way I just described. Uh, Eddie Nunez. Thank you so much for your support of Lean Into Art. Uh, Jay Taylor, thanks to you. Uh, it means a lot that you, you know, help contribute to making the show more sustainable. Uh, D. Jusan. Oh, my gosh, D. Jusan. Uh, fantastic cartoonist. Amazing cartoonist. And everybody should follow her work online. She does a comic called Great Is. Thank you for your support, D. Uh, Jay Taylor, thank you very much for helping us out. And Mark Falk. Falk. Uh, like Peter Falk. Mark Falk. Thanks so much, everybody, for uh, supporting us at patreon.com slash leanintoart. And you can go support us there now. If you haven't, you can get the shows we record between the shows called Extra Lean, where Rob and I sit down without a topic and sort of just find our way through a discussion, usually without any kind of prompting or any kind of like pre-discussion. Often we'll just be in the middle of a meeting and we'll just say, oh, we're doing, lean, we're doing Extra Lean right now. Hit record. And then we go. Um, <laughs> But yes, thanks to everybody who supports us there, and uh, we encourage you, if you haven't, to support us there and uh, hang out with us in the uh, open mic sessions where we just have uh, open topic, open discussion in a safe place only for Patreon supporters. All right. Time to go on the ground, Rob? Yeah, definitely. All right, so here's another uh, transition music that I I pulled up in honor of our guest. Time to go on the ground. (laughs) Talk about... The how to do this stuff. The why? Hopefully we're not in trouble. <laughs> Quick trivia, who did that song? I Sting? I think it was like the other guy from the police, wasn't it? Oh, was it? Yeah. Wow. Was it really? That is I think I think so. You shot shot really close to the bullseye. I thought it was just like some guy trying to do Sting, but it was actually like one of the other members of the police. That's pretty awesome. Okay. <laughs> Just with the Sorry. instinct. I was Googling. Oh. <laughs> okay. Fact check. <laughs> so that, yes, that was from the droids TV show. Oh. Anyways. Yeah. So, so, um, yeah. Ask away, Rob. Well, it is. Okay. So we started looking at, um, some of the puzzling with, uh, there's probably different benefits, Maybe you could use the same production techniques, maybe not. 
Um, but then the online, you're 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 doing a, a you know, you're doing the similar work, but yet somehow there's there's more to it when you you know you get the the full mini comic uh, that you can you can then ship or share or or sell. Um, then for for either like let's let's have that in mind as we now think about the process primarily to pr produce the mini comic but then think about like well if you're doing this online like well i guess you could do these things too just as like a side as we're as we're processing through our process for making a mini comic okay so where do you where do you guys start where do you start do you like pick the do you like you know just start folding paper and, and go for it and or what do you do it all starts with an idea <laughs> <laughs> ah. Back when I was talking with the amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> um, okay, so making yourself laugh could be where you start, <laughs> right? Yeah. Chad, with the well, it, it, uh, so the reason I the reason I'm I'm hesitating, I'm pausing, is I'm trying to think. Well, okay, how do I start now, or how do I start? How did I start? You know, ten years ago. Hmm. Well, um, uh, how about we do some start sampling? How did you start when you started? Um, I definitely had an idea and something that I wanted to tell. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was figuring out how long I wanted it to be. Um, was that based on like the time you had available or uh, stress you were managing or what? Yes, what? all of it. Okay. Um, what I felt like I could I could feasibly do, um, if I could tell the story or or do the comic that I wanted to do within a certain amount of of pages. And I think that again, that sort of that 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 component of it of well, how long is it going to be? when you're creating a physical object is a very real thing that you have to you have to decide because again it's not just well I will just do however many pages I wish and then I'll throw it up online because you have to start thinking about signatures you have to think about how many sheets of paper you're going to use for the thing knowing that if you're making a traditional folded mini comic then that means all of your pages are going to be in multiples of four because it's a piece of paper folded in half, and so you have four pages on there. So your story, you know, your your content within there, you, you know, you can't have a six-page book in that format. You can have a four-page book, you can have an eight-page book, and so on and so on. You can uh, always do a, you, you can always do a this page left intentionally blank. Right. For, you know, for <laughs> signing. Yep. Um, that's, uh, uh, that's, that's part of how I, I also put in my own ads. So I had essentially like a, uh, I had an eight page mini, but I, but I didn't have room for a cover cause it was all content. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to do an extra page in cardstock and that gave me this extra, I'm like, what do I want to do with this? And, uh, yeah. anyway, but yeah. But I want I want to touch on this this uh, thing called signatures that Zach was mentioning earlier because not everybody's necessarily going to know what that means. So like here's Boulder and Fleet, the very first mini comic that I was talking about earlier, right? And so here's the interior pages, so we can see. And then I'm going to pull up 
the pagination, the signature, which is what I sent to the printer, right? So this is what I send to Kinko's in order to print the book. You see how it's like, it's not in order, right? So like on the bottom right of the page is page one of the comic and on the bottom left is page eight. And then above that is page four and five, right? So you gotta think about like, how is this gonna be cut and how is this gonna be folded after the fact? And that's what's called pagination. It's actually kind of tricky once you get over increments of eight pages, right? Yeah, and and I think that's the stuff that I like to kind of call the the uh, the blue collar end of things. You know, that's the stuff that's just the that's the that's the 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 not uh, conceptual artsy part. That's ah, Rob's got it right here. Okay, yeah, this is the journeyman's yep. work. Right. Yes. Up again, Rob? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and you also start to, you know, as you get more experienced or as you, you know, you see other, uh, what other folks are doing, you know, you start to learn things like your page count is limited also because if you start getting over too many pages, it gets hard to staple if, if you're using that method. Also, a lot of times books, if you have too many pages uh, and they're folded, they won't fold flat, you know, I mean, just take a stack of paper and try to fold it it's a you know it's 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 a physics problem you know you can only you can only go so far you can't have a 150 page mini comic at that point you have to go to something that's you know bound right. like a book um, hmm. and again that that's sort of so what i would do is i would take little sheets of paper like post it notes and i would fold them in half and i would make what's called a dummy and I would write on there, you know, page one, page two, page three, page four, as though I was going through, you know, a, a, a regular book. And then I would pull those apart, and then I would know which side each page of my story had to go on. Mm-hmm. So, so Again, for I, the pagination. If I'm following so far, so you, you started with your idea, then you used sort of your, your page and, and you, you work through some puzzling with the idea, but then, you know, part of the puzzling is dealing with the constraints of the medium and knowing that it's going to be physical and whatnot. But then once you had that stuff worked out, then you made your dummy, right? Which is mm-hmm. like thumbnailing. All right. Mm-hmm. What, what, what sure. happens after that? Uh, then you have to make the art, you know, you have to draw your pages. You have to, you know, However it is you produce comics, whatever your method for making comics is, which, you know, I don't know how much we want to talk about that because that's sort of a a whole, can be a whole other topic. Could we Uh, hand wave toward, like, general, uh, general big, you know, titles of those techniques? (laughs) I thumbnail out. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, I, I, I basically do really rough sketches of all my pages, then I pencil the pages, then I ink the pages, then I scan the pages into the computer, and then I letter them, and then I assemble them where they need to be on the uh, those signatures again. Um, and I usually print out a master copy, and then I start... Xeroxing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think also something that is 
useful and that that you have to think about when you're doing a physical object is I think that really helps you figure out how pages flow one into the other. Um, placing things on the page, knowing that there's a physical page turn that's going to happen. Um, again, depending on the kind of narrative that you're that you're you're telling, you know, knowing that how to treat your odd numbered pages versus your even number pages, given that in the Western world we read from left to right. And so knowing that, you know, your audience is going to be reading left to right and, and being aware of that flow uh, within your physical constraints. So when do you end up testing that flow and feeling like, oh, okay, this is good? Uh, I mean, that's at the thumb, that's at the thumbnail. Okay thumbnail page the all the I feel like all the heavy lifting all the heavy mental lifting really happens at the thumbnail stage um, so that when you get down to drawing the final art it's it's at that point again it's 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 just drawing the art it's you know not saying that I don't change things or that you know, while I'm drawing final art, maybe you go, oh, you know what, this actually would look better if it was flipped this way, or maybe this shot might be better here. But in general, by the time I start drawing, I've got a clear enough idea. I know I know where I'm going. Here's like a whole bunch of books that I've done in the last couple of years, right? It always, always starts with a folded dummy. Yeah. Every every book. I mean, even here's here's a mini comic that I did, Pickles and Taft mentioned it earlier. Here's Pickles and Taft, which is, you know, folded, stapled. And I even make a um, a blue line template for my pages that I print out, right, with, like, like ruler marks, ruler guides marked. So, like, I have, like, a, a grid of four by four, three by three, and, and half and half so that I can easily rule on my pages. But, yeah, this stage, and we talked about this in chunking your uh, process, right? This was just a couple episodes ago. We talked about that chunking that we do when we're making comics. This, where I'm doing all the decisions of layout, flow, moment choice, even dialogue. That when I get to this part, all I'm doing is just drawing. And I think that that's also, uh, for like a practical example, um, if you wanted to do, if you wanted to have a spread, in other words, if you wanted to have two pages within your book so that when you open them I, this, I don't have one but, so when you <laughs> one right here. How about okay, this? there you go you know, you can't just do you can't just put those pages anywhere, you know like you can't just go, oh now I want a two page spread you have to figure out where that's going to land within the physical aspect of the book because otherwise then you end up with you know, you'll end up with one half of the image on this side, and then the other half, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that's that's not what you want. <laughs> and that the, said, the, the best, the 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 prime use of the spread is the center of the book, though, right? Is that also part of the? Yeah, that's the best real estate for your spread. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, you can put five, a spread but... across like two other pages, but it just becomes kind of tricky to line them up. Um, yep. And then and then it depends on how you're printing them too, because like. Printers like Kinko's can't print to the edge of the page unless you trim it down. I've got an example of, of a nightmare that I ran into with that. But to counter what we've been talking about as well, I have here this comic, which is also like one of my more popular books at shows. Um, 
And this was one I did in eight hours on mini comic day. And I literally just took Bristol and cut it to this size and drew it at exactly this size, you know, and it was all because I knew I only had an hour per page to make this book. So there wasn't time to futz around with like production value and make it really fancy. And there wasn't even time to really figure out, like, was I even doing a good story? You know, like, we've talked a bunch of times on this show and on Galaxy Super Adventure about the Kazu Kibuishi saying of, like, you know, uh, this is going to be awesome, this is hard, this is bad, I'm bad, hey, not so bad, that was awesome. You know, page four, every time I do one of these is like, God, this is garbage. You know, and then I get to page six, I'm like, okay, I, I think it's going to be coming together. And then I get to page eight, and I'm like, whew, you know, dodge that bullet. <laughs> um, so this one, there was no thumbnailing. There was no dummy. This was me just figuring it out page by page. And that's fun, too. Mm -hmm. That can be super fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, again, the aspect of, of printing a lot of these things out is I think you learn uh, what works and what doesn't visually, even just in terms of, especially if you're, if you're working larger than your final size, which... Um, most people, at least within a professional sort of way, do that. Uh, you know, you learn, you learn really quickly. It's like, wow, I spent a lot of time drawing all this little detail of these figures in a crowd, and now in my final printed book, you can't see them because you know, because they're half the size, and you know, and if you're doing color, you also learn what colors reproduce and what colors don't I mean you know color printing is very good but color printing is not a facsimile of the human eyeball and uh, you know a lot of colors just don't print out well um, with other colors or they just don't print out at all you know you'll you'll get very subtle gradients or very subtle differences between color tones that once it's printed out are just gone and that's you know that's an important thing. It's an important thing to learn. It's why all those old comic books had really bold lines and really bold flat colors because that's what was reproducible. Right, the technology that was what was permit permittable with the technology at the time. Right. Um, another thing I want to point out is um, when I was first starting out in mini comics, we talked about like I was using the term ash can because back then, in the part of the industry that I paid attention to at that time. These were nothing more than promotional material, right? But then once I started making a few and I started, you know, understanding that, well, this is like, so this was a mini comic and this is actually, you can find it online. I posted all the, the pages from this series um, on, I think on Tumblr, uh, but this is a comic I did called the black hole equation. And it was like, literally I sat down one day and said like, can I do a mini comic in an afternoon? And I sat down and, and you know, eight pages, you know, just, with pencil, no plotting ahead, no thumbnailing, drawing an actual size. And when I walked away with a finished mini comic that I literally printed an hour later and had like 30 copies of, you know, I had nothing that afternoon, and then all of a sudden I've got 30 mini comics. That was so satisfying. I was like, there's got to be more to this. Uh, and I started doing lots more. But then I still remember feeling like this weird kind of, and this is, I think, a product of my time, um, kind of a shame, about, not a shame, but, like, not feeling that it was professional, right? Like, these are my little throwaway junk comics. These aren't my real comics. My real comics are the ones I take to an offset printer, right? But then as I got a little bit older and got even more into it, I was like, well, wait a second. I got it started seeing more of these kinds of, like, hand-done, screen-printed comics. I'm like, wow, that's really neat when they make them into art objects. So I started playing with that, with, like, screen printing. 
And I've got two here that I will never print again because they're too hard to make. Um, <laughs> the one is, um, I don't know how many of you guys remember this, but I used to do a series of crayon comics as if they were drawn by my character, Jared the Abominable Snowman. Mm, yes. And I did a bunch of them, and he had his own website for a while. I think it actually still exists. Um, but yeah, and I, and I would just put the crayon drawings on like the uh, backs of different envelopes and lined paper and stuff. So it'd be as if like this is stuff that he just has around the house that he's drawing on the way a kid does. But you'll notice that it's printed in color because it's crayon drawing. It has to be printed in color. That makes it mm -hmm. expensive. Also, you'll notice that the color goes right to the edge of the paper, which means I mm. had to physically trim all these pages because Kinko's cannot print to the edge. <laughs> so I had to print the comic, uh, then cut a quarter inch around, and I had to do the pagination and such so that whatever was above this page stopped right at the point where I was going to cut it in the middle, right? Mm. You know what I'm saying? So like I had to cut around here and around here, around the side and the bottom, but then I had to cut right along the middle and make sure that that, envelope color met exactly with the center of the paper so then <laughs> then center it inside of this screen printed cover right so I'm, I'm really proud of the way the book looks it's a great looking little mini comic oh and I really like the back cover. Cool. <laughs> yeah. um, but it just it was such a pain in the butt to make that I'm never going to do it again mm -hmm. um, so I only have like two copies another one I did the same idea it was Jared's uh, stories you know so there's like the crayon comics inside but I did it to where every cover was blank with just the word story written on it. And I would do a crayon drawing cover, a uh, custom one for each person who bought it. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about putting the hand on touch on it. Oh, and it's also, um, uh, it's uh, stitch bound, right? So like it's actually like bound with string instead of staples. Whoa. So it's like I wanted to have like a really, really super hand touch to it. Like mm -hmm. really celebrating that about mini comics. But again, getting it printed to the edge of the paper, cutting the paper down to this unique size, because here's a like traditional mini-comic size. You'll see that this one is slightly smaller, so I had to hand-cut all these. Uh-uh, not going to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too much work, man, for not much payoff. So Yeah, so yeah and I think that's why all of the mini-comics that I've made over the years have all been this style, which is... Eight and a half by eleven, xeroxed, folded in half, uh, stapled. You know, I, I I went out and I bought, and I still have it. <laughs> I still bought the long arm stapler that every mini comics person worth their salt probably owns. Yeah. And so all this is, if I can demonstrate on video. So when you've got a piece of eight and a half by eleven paper, and you need to staple it. You set the size and you you staple it that way because a regular stapler won't do it. Won't reach. Won't reach. Um, can I just say too, this particular book, at the time, I knew someone at Brown University, and we actually snuck into the office and printed off how many of these? A lot, at least fifty, <laughs> off of the Brown. Xerox machine in the archaeology department. Gorilla printing. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I have um, most of my mini comics that I have printed up. Now, I've also done, you know, mini comics where I've, I've mailed it to a printer, like Kablam, something like that. Um, but the, all of the mini comics that I've done in the past where it was really 
again, guerrilla style, I went in after hours at schools that I was working at to use their Xerox machine. So Banksy. Um, oh. So what? It's so Banksy. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that I printed mini comics at one point in my career uh, to a, a friend who we will just uh, call D, who worked for a, a very popular kid's television stations magazine publication years ago um <laughs> i know i used their xerox machine at one point to, or it actually wasn't even their xerox machine it was kind of it was a fancy laser printer that's what it was so i got that real wow. crisp you know black lines happening mini comic strikes again yeah yeah but yeah, yeah like, most most of it has been has been that way. Yeah, when I was first starting out, um, I had a friend who worked at Kinkos in the graveyard shift, so that was my deal. I would go in there and I'd be like, "Hey, you know, I, I would pay for some, but then I'd get like a whole lot of extra bonus prints, right?" Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then I also, when I was in my early twenties, it's been like twenty, twenty one, twenty two. I worked at a newspaper, so I had access mm-hmm. to laser printers there as well. So like doing all my pagination, doing my dummy work, and then even printing off a few copies there was. Um, that that's that's when you're young and hungry you find a way oh it was so i remember feeling like i had just i had struck gold when i was using the xerox machine at a school that i used to work at because they also did double sided printing oh yeah off the xerox machine so cuz normally you have to print off all your pages and then flip it around now remember kids <laughs> do one first <laughs> because half the time you're going to get it wrong yep do one first, make a real clear note of which way the pages need to go back in the machine, and then print off the other side. Because you're going to be real mad at yourself if you just printed 75 copies where the pages are upside down on one side. I remember that. Oh, yeah. We all have to go through that. I feel like that's like, you know, it's part of the, it's part of the, uh, the rite of passage. <laughs> it's, yeah. to, it's to screw up the page order. Um, but, but, but then just hit like print and like do 75 of them. Yeah. 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 Oh, hurts. Yep. Yeah. That's mini comics hubris. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and especially if you're paying for them, cause you know what? Oh. Staples, they don't care if you printed them wrong. Nope. <laughs> that's true. But I mean, that, that's another like, like sort of on the ground tip that I would throw out too is, um, if, if you can try to find, find, forge a relationship with the place where you get your stuff printed a lot, if you print, if you get good prints from someplace, go there a lot and mm. try to be friendly and easy to work with and not be a pain in the butt. Cause the place that I go to, I have the same place I've been using here in town for like the past, I want to say like eight or nine years. And like, they know me by sight. Now when I walk in, they're like, Hey Jersey. Oh, I saw your order come in earlier today. You know, here it is. And then, then when there's a mistake, and I, I literally ran into it where they, um, I ordered online, and like the 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 page flip they showed online, like it represented it one way, but then when it went to the printer, it flipped it so that it went another way, so it actually did flip the page upside down. Yeah. Uh, and when I saw, it, I was like, oh, you know what? And they already cut them and everything because I actually sent it there, like print a hundred of these and cut them down the middle this way. So I'm looking at the pe- the pages, and I'm like, oh no, they got printed upside down on the other side. And like they literally were like, "Oh, no problem, we'll fix it." We're so sorry. There's something weird with our software. So I, another friend of mine, I'm like, "Oh, you should go there because if they if they screw it up like that, they'll fix it for you." 
Well, they didn't mm. know this person. And I'm not saying like I'm like the Pope of, of the coffee shop, but they, they knew me and I'd done, give, given them a lot of business. <laughs> this person, they're like, well, that's your problem. You, you didn't format it right. You know, so like that was evidence of like, okay, you should have a relationship with these people. It can help in the long run. Even if you yeah. are, you know, you're not getting freebies. But does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another tool, just while I'm thinking about it also, uh, you know, that long arm stapler. But I would also recommend investing in a bone folder. Do you guys have bone folders? I have a not bone bone folder. <laughs> yes. I don't, I don't know that mine's actual bone either, but... I, they, they, I, they come in plastic as well, but you can de- describe what it is, Zach. It's um, actually, I might not have to describe Did it. Did you get it? I think I can so, get it. Hold yeah, on. I'll hold up my book here to vamp the audience. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll vamp. So, you know, folding these things isn't the easiest thing in the entire world. And, like, sometimes when you fold, if you've ever folded something, especially if you got, like, a cardstock cover, right? It's, like, a nice stiff cover on this. You can get all sorts of warps and bends little funny creases when you're folding it by hand, right? Um, but when you use a bone folder, you can get these really just super crisp folds on your uh, mini comics, which just, I don't know, it just gives it more of like a little bit more satisfying heft in the hand. Which you, you might think, oh, I could grab any object and just drag it across my page. But the thing is, this, this uh, not made of bone bone folder well, actually, uh, it has these smooth edges, right? Like, like the one Zach is is uh, is showing. Yeah, us let's right pull now. up Zach's screen yeah. right now so we can show off what he's showing us. It yeah, sort of looks like a giant right. nail file from here, but it's very smooth. Yeah. And, um, and that rounding, and so it doesn't really catch on things. That's right. right. Yeah, that's important. So you pu- yeah, you pull it across this way, and this 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 end here where it's got kind of a sharper tip. This is really good for getting like around staples and things like that, and you can really get a real sharp corner with that. Um, I'm I doubt this is bone. I got, but you can get these oh, any art store really, yeah. particularly for people who are into creating um, books and journals and things like that. And you know, I don't know, five bucks. Yeah, yeah, Maybe. in that neighborhood. Any place where you can find bookbinding supplies. Right. Just do a search for bookbinding in your neighborhood, um, and you can find Or you can go to dickblick.com, or do Utrecht still around? I'm not sure if Utrecht's still around, but... you Well, at least by me, Utrecht is now Dick Blick. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Everything's being consolidated. Yeah, yes. Office Supply Highlander. <laughs> Um, yeah, let's see. So, right. The, the stapler, the experience of, of rotating the pages. Um, so, I mean, with all this, I mean, taking it, taking it easy at each step, you know, giving, giving it, um, it's only, only waste like one at most and not, don't just set yourself up to all of a sudden and and in some automated fashion cause a lot of pain. Um, what about, uh, wait a minute. So Jersey, you have these like very fine covers here with the, Screen printing, yeah. right? So, um, what if what if I were so inclined to add that to mine? Uh, so, so I have a precious object mini comic. I do love the way it feels. I love the way screen printed ink feels on a mini comic cover, um, and it becomes an interesting 
exercise in minimalism as well because um, even with a nice screen, you can't get the same detail on that design that you can on black and white ink on the inside, right? Um, and, and also, with each color you add, you're adding a failure point in terms of lining up colors, right? There's a thing called registration where it's like if you look, and I'll see if I can get this, if you can see this very well, but on this Boulder and Fleet cover, the purple underneath Fleet is not perfectly lined up underneath her. Can you see that? It's kind of mm -hmm. hard to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, like well, it's, her wing um, is supposed to match with that purple underneath, and it does not. Why? Because the colors or the, 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 the paper shifted underneath the screen as I was printing. So that said, it adds some levels of complexity and a little bit of heartache sometimes, but it also creates this really tactile. You can really feel the ink on it, can't you, Rob? Right? Mm -hmm. And like on that Captain Cat cover, I specifically put like a dot pattern behind it so you could run your fingers across it and you can feel like a texture underneath Captain Cat on the cover. So that dot pattern is screen printed too? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, pull it up. It's like a white dot pattern behind the Captain there. Uh -huh. Kind of hard to see. But yeah. Um, I will say, too, just real quick, that I think that a lot of times, too, that the people who are interested in that type of mini-comic where, again, it's the screen-printed kind of thing, uh, they're not looking for something super slick. I think that if something is a little off-center or something, I think uh, that adds that generally adds to the charm of it. That's true. That adds to the hand-done feel yeah. of the thing. And again, the, and also the, the uniqueness of that particular That's one. very true. But also, that said, then that becomes another cool exercise in design where you try to come up with designs. Like this one was like really, I worked hard to come up with something where if there was shifting, it wasn't the end of the world, right? Mm -hmm. Or even like the Tiny Hamilton comic that Ann and I did years ago, um, we specifically designed it so that it was meant to be color shifted so that rather like off registration so that, you know, whatever shifting happened, we could live with. Right. So you can do things like that. But screen printing itself is not an expensive thing to get into. Um, you can get a, a, a starter kit for like $40 and that will get you a screen, a, a couple different colors of ink uh, and the emulsion that is required in order to burn the screen. Um, and the way that works is, is like, it's, it's like a, it's a mesh, fabric screen that you can you know if you pour run water or ink over top it'll just pour right through the screen it's like a mesh of little tiny holes but then you put this this emulsion on it's this thick goo that you put over top of it and you let it cure overnight you know like let it dry um then you put an inverted image of your cover so in this case like if it was the green on this pickles and taft cover it would be the reverse of that right or rather no it would be a black a black ink version of that ink you put that uh, on a transparency over top of that emulsion. And you put a certain kind of light over top of it. It comes with information about this when you buy the kit. And th what that light does is it sets all of the gunk so that that hardens and it's, it's waterproof. But anything that the ink was covering up on your transparency, you can wash out. So you take a spray gun, you know, like a, just like a garden hose or like a power washer, spray the screen. All that gunk goes away, and now you have a stencil that you can just pull ink through with a squeegee and go foop and pull it over top, right? Not, not hard to do. It's messy. Um, you're going to need to have a room without natural light in it because you need a dark room in order to let the ink dry. When Ann and I first started, we just had a small apartment, and we just did all of the screen printing in our bathroom, right? We like, cleaned the screens in there. We you know, burned the screen like 
set up a box with the screen on it with a lamp hanging over the toilet, you know. Um, and we'd pull the screen, pull the, the covers, the ink uh, colors on our dining room table. Um, nowadays, I actually have a basement studio where I can do a lot of stuff. But um, I'm imagining you with like the old style photograph, like the red, the red light and all of your covers hanging like on a it, string. And it's literally it was like in the Great Muppet Caper, right? Right. Like It's like, yeah, I'm in the bathroom with a red light. And like there's people banging on the door who want to get in. Right. <laughs> The cookie jar just busted, but, <laughs> but but it's it's not it's not difficult to learn and it's not terribly expensive, but it is messy and it is a little bit uh, it's time consuming, right? Like and anybody who's followed my Instagram feed, like before I get ready for a convention, I'll wind up posting all these Instagram photos of printing, you know, like a whole mess of covers for my books because I'll try to do like sixty to a hundred at a go. Uh, so I don't have to do it again for a while because it, it does, you know, you're pulling this thing over and over again like this and it can, for an old guy like me, it can be a strain on the back to do that for, you know, five, six hours at a go. It's definitely something that's done for an aesthetic purpose. If you're, if you're only interested in efficiency, then screen printing is probably not something that you're all that interested in. But then, but then on the upside, you can do really cool things like print yellow on top of pink, mm -hmm. right? Whereas, like, I can't do this at a Kinko's unless I print pink as a color and I'd have to print it all the way to the edge of the page, which they can't do, which means I'd have to cut it in a funny way. So, um, there's in in our in in how we're exploring this, almost every element has its own like difficulty setting that you can yeah. choose to crank up or down, right? Um, yeah. I thought it, you know, that we, we basically said, well, you want to go to extreme hard because I, I get that Jersey. It's, it, it's an approachable task for you. But, uh, if you're going from step zero to that, eh, that's a, that's a gauntlet. Lots of yeah. challenge. Yeah. If, if you've never done it before, if you're just starting out, then I really think the most satisfying way to do it is to do just the little floppy. I mean, and even print on a colored paper, this is just gray paper. And I remember I went to, um, this is back in like 95. I went to a comic con and like some other mini comic people came out to me and like, how'd you get the gray tones that way? And like we were actually sharing like Kinko's tips, like how to set like the the um, exposure on a on a the, the certain kind of Canon copy machine so that so I could watercolor. This is just watercolor ink that I did on the cover, and then I set the the settings on the the photocopier just so the, so that I got the maximum amount of black and gray in there. So like you could be a nerd about that kind of thing and still be at like level zero, right? So that actually reminds me of, of something else that I hope we have time to talk about, which is in talking about the the idea of, well, why make mini-comics? And we talked about experimentation. We talked about uh, leveling up. We talked about, um, you know, a, a, a low commitment for, you know, kind of a new idea. But I actually think that one of the biggest and maybe best reasons to make mini-comics is community. Let's go there. Okay. <laughs> what do you mean? So, well, okay, just what you were talking about right there. Somebody said, how did you get those gray tones? And you said, well, you know, and you, you traded ideas for, for, you know, how to, um, you know, work the Xerox machine to do that. Many comics by their nature, you might make them in isolation, but you are generally making them to communicate with other people because mini comics are not something in other words i mean you could work for marvel comics and create comics and never communicate with anyone if you wanted to 
Mini comics, you don't have that. If you make a mini comic, well, guess what? You're going to a convention, or you're going to a show, or you're going to a fair, and you're selling them, and you're going to meet people. Because otherwise, you're going to make all these mini comics, and they're just going to sit under your bed, or something like that. Um, and I will just say, I mean, mini comics is how I met most of my friends and colleagues that I am still friends with all these years because there's that element of just, you know, trading techniques like what you were talking about, but also just when you meet people who are doing the same thing that you're doing. It's evidence that you're in the game. Right. Right. You're yeah. Not, you're not necessarily published yet, but you're in the game. Mm -hmm. The thing. I have evidence that I'm, I'm as committed to this thing as anybody else. And here's another layer I'll throw on top of what you just said, Zach, is like, okay, I'm in the game. I've got a 200-page graphic novel. Hey, Jersey, I, I really appreciate what you do. Here's a 200-page graphic novel. And I go, that is awesome. Now i got to find the time to read that 200-page graphic novel. You come up to me, and I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying that that is a friction point, right? Mm -hmm. You come up to me with this, and you say, here's this, this eight-page mini-comic. I'm like, cool. I can read it while you're talking to me. You it's know, like, it's like mini comics are low risk for the creator, but also for the consumer. Yes, that is an excellent point. So yeah, th th this is this is the kind of thing I keep on my table because it is a way to get to know the work that I do, so that you can go like I. We're not all up to date on all of each other's web comics and long term projects, right? Right. But this is a way for to, to keep in touch with your your peers and keep a community going because it's. Yeah, it's it's less friction to get exposed to your stuff. Um, we're actually getting some questions in the chat, guys. Um, Joseph Coco is there, and he says, uh, if you have an error in your print run, you didn't catch until after assembly. So yeah, it'd be kind of tough to go back and be like, hey, you did it wrong. Um, do you still sell copies, give them away, or just trash them? Uh, I guess it would depend on the type of error. Um, I, I had, uh, I had an error with this, um, at kids read comics a few years back. And, uh, I was a little tired when I assembled some of my minis, um, but I did print them correctly. So, uh, so I knew that I could, that it was repairable. And so I ended up just essentially doing some staple pulling and restapling at, at my table. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of us do bring all of our equipment with us to the shows, right? To fix things like that for sure. Mm -hmm. And if you bring a stapler with you, even if you don't use it, you'll be someone's hero at that show because someone will need a stapler or someone will need something and you'll be there to, to sweep in like Superman and help them out. I, I've, I've told the, the story a bunch of times on the show about my search for the perfect bag. And when I finally landed my bag and like got it set up, just I got it optimized, you know, so that I can put exactly what I need and more, right, all the time. So I'm always prepared. And I remember I was at a con and I had that and I had my con box, which I learned from Tyler James, who we've had on the show in the past. Um, and like there was a person just down from me who just like they seemed to need everything. They seemed to like not bring anything they needed to put up their stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, I got that. Oh, yeah, I got that. And they're like, what are you, a Boy Scout? I'm like, you know, this is this is the ideals that, that you are that not only that prepared, but then you are that helpful to everybody mm -hmm. else around you, which is another community building thing. Um, that's yeah. Huge. Yeah. Um, so. Oh, so I guess to answer that question, if it's sort of a minor error, I don't know. It's really tough unless I can think of 
of an example. I mean, I would say if it's if it's a big error that really affects the reading of the comic, you probably don't want to sell them. Mm-hmm. Um, Although I've seen people at like SPX have a bin of poorly printed books where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, when I, a screen printing and like the color didn't come out right or it didn't spread right. Because I mean, that's probably it's it's the outlet store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like yeah, like you'll be pulling the screen. Like let's say. I get to like here and then the green ink stops spreading. And so like, it's sort of like doesn't print the bottom half or the bottom like quarter of this image. Then they'll put those in like a 50 cent bin, right? Mm-hmm. Like here's like the, the quarter bin, 50 cent bin, like the poor prints. Um, but if it's something where it's like, I can't read it anymore, then I usually just trash it or, you know, recycle it. I also think, and I know this is easy to say, but I also think that a lot of it is just, try not to get to that point, <laughs> you know, like try to really look at what you're doing as you're going on. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like cooking a meal. You're going to taste things as you're cooking. You're not going to mm. wait until you get everything all done, put it on the table and then eat it and go, Oh, this is terrible. You know, you taste as you go. And I think that in making comics, it's, it's, it's a similar kind of thing. Just kind of really be aware of what you're doing. Well, here's another yeah. like sneaky tip though about stuff that like like prints like to seventy percent quality, you know, like, where it's like I, it looks okay, but I'm not sure I feel right about asking somebody for four dollars for this thing. Uh, I keep those in a special pile because this is something that happens. You go to a comic con and people come like you want to trade, and that you've never met them before. You don't know what you're getting, right? And I've mm-hmm. had this happen where it's like, oh, you want to trade? I'm like, sure. And then I get something where it's like some kind of angry hateful thing you know <laughs> something yeah. where it's like wow i don't really don't want to read this you know uh and that and i traded with the person sight unseen <clears throat> so i keep a sort of like a this is my sight unseen trade i just want to get through this transaction quickly mm-hmm. um stack within the within the mini comics community uh, trading is a big a big thing and i actually mm-hmm. remember even uh years ago at mocha um People had made pins with a with a T on it, and if you were wearing that pin, that meant that's you were great. willing to trade. That's great. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, because some people, and, and it is true, especially if you are somebody who puts a lot of work into your mini comic, you know, and you don't want to trade for some for a book that somebody, again, you don't know what's in it. If it's somebody right. that you don't know. Because uh, that's not uncommon at these shows for a complete stranger to to come up to you and say, "Hey, I like your work. You know, do you want to trade?" So it's yeah. not it's not just trading amongst friends. It's 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 within the whole thing. And you know, I, I will say, like, if you're not comfortable with trading, then don't trade. It's not a. Um... But that said, it it can be an awkward situation. Right. right, right, and so I think that you, the situation that you just described is a is a really good. Um, a really good solution to that. Yeah. So yeah, it 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 uh, acts as a social lubricant for the situation, and it protects protects uh, me from you know cutting into my cost as a creator. Because that's another thing; it's very expensive to go to these shows. Very expensive. Yeah, and and thing. and right, and and let's face it, it you know, you're probably not going to make money back at these shows with mini comics. It's very hard if if you're spending $350 on a table, it's very hard to make that cost back on $1 minis. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I mean, you know, it's all but that's a that's a different, I think, arm of the conversation. 
All right, we're, we're going to go to final thoughts because we're coming up on the end here. And Zach, thank you so much for all everything you contributed to this conversation. I want to remind people that you can find him at Zachulies on every other social network. It's not Zach Ghouls, like Hercules <laughs> with yes. Zach on it. Zach Ghouls. Z-A-C-K-U-L-E-S. Especially on Instagram. Go to Instagram.com slash Zachulies. Although, if you ever have a currency, you might want to call it Zachuls. Zachuls. It'll be 20 Zachuls. Oh, hello. This costs three Zachuls. Zachuls. I need something more real. But I also want to say... That you're going to be able to see Zach in person and Rob in person and me in person at an event this summer. Mm. Uh, A2CAF.com is the website, and that is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's a free comics festival. It's free, June 18th and 19th, 2016. Uh, it's at the Ann Arbor District Library. Uh, here are some of the other guests that will be there. C.C. Bell, Tom Engelberger, Kazu Kibuishi, Rafael Rosado, Ruth McNally-Barshaw, Nathan Hale. Um... And I hear that even uh, some other people like Ben, Benjamin Margaret Hatke might even be there this year. Benjamin Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't want to. I don't want to pull the curtain on that. No, you're not on screen. Um, oh, so that, that, was, that was that was just um, uh, that, that, that was, was Rankin. That was, Rankin the space elf just popped into Zach's studio. Yeah. Um, but also jo- Joseph Coco, who's in the chat, uh, he and Becky Hilburn, I understand, might even be there this year. So. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a good time. It's a two-day festival in Ann Arbor. It's free to attend, and there's lots and lots of comics workshops and game shows and free comics and uh, tons of fun to be had there. Uh, also, uh, Zach and Rob are part of an upcoming exhibition that will be going on in, in town the same weekend called Comics Unbound at the Ann Arbor Art Center. Uh, exhibition of comics art and uh, the Friday night before A2CAF there's going to be an opening reception where we'll all be there and there's going to be just hanging out, drawing on a giant draw wall and, uh, you know, chit-chatting like cartoonists do. And everyone's very approachable there. It's, I feel. It's a, yeah, it's a great crowd. If you're anywhere near the area, it'll be, it'll be worth your time. You'll have a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, and then and other, you know, like the last bit of housekeeping is like if you enjoyed the show, if you thought there was some value in what you just watched or listened to, uh, a great thing you could do that costs you nothing except a few seconds of your time is going to iTunes, giving the show a star review. However many stars you think the show deserves, you don't even have to write a full review, although that is super helpful. And if you're watching the video on YouTube, giving it a thumbs up helps more people discover the show. And thanks to everybody who does that. Thanks to everybody who subscribes, who reviews, who talks about the show in public. That is super great of you to do. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. So, final thoughts. Anything that we missed on this walk around the topic of mini comics, Rob? Well, I mean, I think we we missed quite a few things. Um, certainly got some ideas as far as uh, you know, uh, making a mini comic about the uh, ways to to sort of get it printed on the cheap. That'd be fun, like uh, like a like a heist comic about making a mini. Com- I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> it's it's a rough idea. Um, <laughs> But uh, well, I think there's a lot to do with like if you haven't tried this yet, it's really there's a lot of different approachable um, you know templates and whatnot out there to to give it a shot. 
Um, there's the whole uh, like different creative creative constraints you can put on yourself as to to you know like like you described Jersey you know make make an entire one in an hour a few hours a day like mini comic day what have you yeah and and even a couple weeks like if you just like so Pickles and Taft was done over the course of like I think four weeks where with just spare mm-hmm. time right one quick callback to the whole um, the topic as far as like well posting it online and all that kind of stuff um, when mm-hmm. I did. It's funny. I, I I have a I do have a few other mini comics, but I can't find any any physical print copies. But uh, I was doing updates on my web comic as I was working through these pages. So this did take a few weeks to to make, and um, and it served a couple of purposes for um, for you know sharing work with the world and all that. Um, yeah. The other thing we didn't touch on was mini comic as business card and that's the thing that's one of the next things i want to do is um take one of these and print a new interior back page with all the things you need to know about me because one of the things that i run into uh when i meet other cartoonists is they give me these business cards and it has really cool art on it, it has their name maybe their twitter handle and then that's it that's all i know about them is they okay there's a cool image here and there's a name if I don't, if I can't immediately recall that interaction that we had, that card becomes almost meaningless to me. Whereas this is an artifact of what I represent as a storyteller, as an artist. It, it, this this represents a lot of different things about me. So um, something that I'm going to take as a, a personal goal, and something I think a lot of cartoonists should be thinking about, is the mini comic as business card idea. That's it's going to get kept, it's going to get read, and it's going to uh, better represent you in somebody yeah. else's eyes. Um, so can I, just, can I just throw in one also final kind of thing here? <clears throat> yeah, we're talking about making mini-comics and, you know, oh, you should try it and things like that. If you're unfamiliar with mini-comics, um, look, it is so varied in subject matter in style, in storytelling, and also in skill level. And so I think that that is a huge thing. Please, you know, please don't feel like you have to create something that is going to be a beautiful piece of work. Because, I mean, there there are kids who make mini-comics. You, you know, you don't... And, and for a lot of people who are fans of mini-comics, that's actually what they're attracted to. They're attracted to something that is not slick and is not uh, overly refined, you'll find that a lot of people are attracted to stuff that is a little rougher, a little more... um, A word I like to use is naive. It sort of has a a naive quality to it. Um, And so, so don't... Yeah, don't be afraid to just try and just go for it. And again, low commitment. Just do four pages. About, you know, that time you went to... Denny's, because people believe me. I'm sure that that co- that genre. mini comics already been done. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. That's a big genre, subgenre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. The slice of life. Restaurant stuff that happened to me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, gosh, thank you again, Zach, for making the time to be part of this discussion. That was awesome. Oh well, thanks for having me and letting me climb up the mountain and letting me walk around with you guys it's and awesome. uh any- yeah, you can come back anytime a lot of fun and uh yeah and for more of me and zach you can check out the galaxy of super adventure podcast at uh, comics are great.com slash gosa uh 
12 episodes have dropped so far. 12 regular episodes plus a few mini episodes. That's right. That's right. We have done a few mini episodes where it was just skits. Uh, and then yes. the holiday episode was entirely just skits. Ooh, mm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> holiday but also, awesome. I mean, they're all awesome, right? <laughs> but like if uh, you know, to 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 get caught up and 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 whatnot, it, it's it's great to start in the beginning, but you don't have to, not high pressure, but that it would be a good episode uh for someone new coming in to sort of get exposed to a lot of the characters and, and, and hit a, a pretty big plot point in the, in the, in your life on the, on the crow quill. Is that, that's, that's what true. your ship's called, right? No, the ship's yeah. name is the, the crow quill, yeah. which crow we only quill. recently discovered. <laughs> and I would say too, if anyone is planning on going to a two calf, they may want to catch up on some ghost oh, episodes. That's very true. That is very true. There may be some galaxy of super adventure stuff happening at mm-hmm. A2 Calf because the whole crew is going to be there. Yes. Um, and it might be possible that we wind up roping Rob into some of the shenanigans as well. So if you want mm-hmm. to see Rob uncomfortable and out of his element, come to A2 Calf. <laughs> Rob, you stepped up to the plate, though, at the award show last year. No, it was two years ago. Was it last year? No, it was two years ago. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm at your mercy. That sounds fun. Um, yep. Well, we, yeah, we 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 mentioned maybe getting you aboard the Crow Quill at some point too. So totally fun. Like, yeah, if there is a crossover, I'm a big fan, and uh, that works out super cool. Rob, who's your favorite character on the show? Oh man, don't even. <laughs> oh, this is this is like uh, too too yeah too many worlds crossing here. Um, to okay, all right. Um. Okay, so I didn't like Miss Hasselgassel. I'm like, she should, she's, she's, you know. But then things happen with Miss Hasselgassel, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And <laughs> so then, um, the the, uh, well, uh, Rankin and and then uh, the the Scrappy Rankin are pretty. Oh uh, yeah, his nephew. <laughs> are pretty. Well, awesome. I bet you'll get to. So, you might get to meet them. You might get to meet them at A two Calf. So that would be great. Um, <laughs> any kind of radio play I can see, uh, um, I'll still be, it'll still be in my imagination getting rendered. So I'm all for it. <laughs> uh, that was fun putting Rob on the spot like that. Yeah. <laughs> Making him squirm a little bit. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a good time this summer. All right. Um, yeah. this show will be archived at leanintoart.com and a whole bunch of other social information is coming in the outro music. Uh, thanks to everybody for downloading, watching, and listening. Thanks to Rob Stenzinger for co-hosting this thing. Thanks for Zach for being a guest. Until next time, I have been Jersey Drozd of LeanIntoArt.com and Jersey on Twitter. And I've been Rob Stenzinger of LeanIntoArt.com and Rob Stenzinger on Twitter. Okay, bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at LeanIntoArt.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the user LeanIntoArt. And you can reach us via email at leanintoart at gmail.com and remember leaners aren't wieners thanks for listening